Hello, and welcome to Nevermind the Pain Points, a podcast dedicated to helping you unlock your business challenges. Pulling on our network of clients, partners, experienced employees, and industry experts, we wanted to share with you our views and opinions on common business challenges. As a consulting firm that deals with these pain points on a daily basis, we thought we were well-placed to give insights on addressing these challenges. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another podcast in the Clarity's podcast series. I'm Tom Carpenter. I'm joined here today by Alia Chaudhry, who is the Transformation Director for Omdia and Informer Technology. I'm going to hand over to Alia now to give you a bit of an introduction about the programme that we worked on together. Hello, Tom. Um, thank you so much for having me on today. Just a little bit of background about the programme we're, we're going to talk about. So Informer Tech is a division of Informer. And it's sort of useful to know that Informer Tech is a newly formed division. It was formed at the beginning of 2019 and brought together all the tech assets in Informa into a single division. It's both event assets and research assets. And the specific program that Tom and I are going to be talking about today is the Omdia Transformation Program. And this was bringing together three brands or subunits, research brands inside Informa, together with a very large acquisition of tech, IHS market technology, um, into a single brand, which is Omdia. And it is a very far-reaching program because it sort of took these four businesses, put them together, you know, created a new business, new leadership team, a new business model, new set of products, new technology, bringing together, you know, the customers from these four business units together. In that, we did everything from sort of complete the acquisition, bring our new colleagues from iTunes Market into informal offices, do the... IT changes, laptops, Salesforce, the sales team, the front office, the back office, new product platform, new product, new brand, most exciting thing, actually launch a new brand, new organization design, new leadership team, you know, I could go on and on. We did some lot of fun and innovative things, I think, inside this project, Tom, which we will talk about. Absolutely. And when did you start, Ali? How long has this journey been for you? So I started in June 2019. This was just before the IHS market deal was about to close. So I spent the first two or three months, you know, to working on the deal close and the, the aftermath of the deal close, making sure that, you know, we sort of completed all takeover the, of the things we needed to, that everything was working seamlessly, that customers had been migrated successfully as, as part of that, etc. So it's just just that. And then after that, it was that that process of going from four disparate brands to a single brand with a single unified product set um, facing the customers. We completed that last month in October. It does sound like we've done a lot, but we've created a whole new business effectively from scratch in 14 yeah. months. Slightly harder than that because there's already existing processes and existing uh, technologies out there which have merged together. So fantastic feat. How, how many people roughly were on this program, Alia, did you oversee? Well, I think, I think the program sort of went through multiple phases. So I think at one point we must have had, you know, at any single point, um, we are the, pre- to the team was, the team itself was over 100 in different phases of the program had different people. To be honest, Tom, I haven't actually added up the total number across it. It's probably going to be some kind of eye-watering number. Dozens and dozens, yeah, across multiple skills sets as well, right? Exactly. I think the thing I sort of look at it when I look back on it and I think about how we approached it was I, for a transformation of this sort, I think it's really important to start with what the end goal and vision is and what, what the outcome looks like. And I think it was, I was fortunate when I started this program that, um, the combination officer at, at Informa had that definition in his head. So Mike already knew, knew that and Informa had that vision of what they wanted the end result to be. And that made life easier because once you know that, you also design back 
from there. You design your phasing. You, when you're landing a new target operating model of this kind, it's not just a one and done deal. You don't go from where you are today with four mature operating businesses and then sort of magically end up with this new business. You go through multiple stages of interim target operating models where you're keeping the business on track. You're keeping fundamentally keeping the wheels on the bus while you're sort of heading down the motorway pace and sort of trying to make changes and still keep that bus heading down the motorway pace. You still have revenue targets to meet. You still have people who are working, you're, but you're making process changes, changes to delivery models um, while sort of keeping that business and revenue stream um, you know, operating, keeping customers satisfied with what you're giving them, even though you're saying to them, you know, six months down the line, we're going to be you know, giving you something significantly new and exciting. And we had a lot of quite challenging, difficult decisions to be made throughout the duration of the program. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about your methodology and, and how we got decisions made effectively? Yeah, so I think I think this is something I sort of have learned uh, or I have a sort of a view about how you sort of make how you can enable businesses to make decisions in a fluid environment. So in Informa, what the, the thing we had to realize as part of this particular um, change was that um, we, so we sort of had, you know, through the course of the, 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 the transformation we were doing, we stood up a new leadership team. So, so in the first three months, you know, we sort of went from having a leadership team across multiple parts of the business to sort of creating one single leadership team. And then sort of, you know, then you go from MD, MD minus one, MD minus two, MD minus three. So all those decision makers and all those people um, have sort of landed in role for the first time um, partway through your program. So, so you are sort of working across the course of the program with different stakeholders in different stages. Your decision maker could change as you, as you go forward. And also they're working in a fluid environment because they, they haven't had like six months, eight months or a year in their role to really sort of define how that works and, and they know what they want. They're coming in, they're setting up their own teams. They're sort of working in a fluid environment themselves and around them to have this program that's enabling that change and wants decisions made. So the key thing to understand is to, to make decision-making, um, to create a structure for decision-making. So there isn't a structure that exists. You have to create that structure for decision-making and you have to keep it simple. So I, I find on a personal, which is my personal style, that you know, creating a large decision log in which you just, you know, write down the many thousands of decisions that get made over the course of time doesn't work because people, people are not gonna go and look at line 62 on that log and go, I made that decision. You have to structure it in a way that allows those decisions to get made, to get absorbed and to get implemented so you can then move forward on them and they form the basis of the next decision and the next decision and the next decision. So the way we tend to do, or the way I like to do it, is to set up governance in the program that rolls from a steering committee to a structured, what I call program boards within each area of the program. And that brings together people who have key decision-making authority at that level. So it's very clear that you sort of start to work through delegated decision-making down the layers of the program, both in the business and in the program team. And then I sort of a particular, a particular bugbear of mine with these is that I like for these board meetings to be treated with the formality and the respect they should have, which means that you go in there as a program team, as a person leading that meeting with your options and the sort of pros and cons of those options for the decision makers and we can make a decision. So therefore, and that, that sort of is my style and I, I sort of, and I, I, you know, how I like to work. And so that therefore means that what you have to do for each decision you want to have made is you have to 
sort of have the discussions before you get to the board. Um, and that means that when you get to the board, the people who are making decisions already know have the background information, and you can even do it verbally. You can do it by sending papers out, as you know, depending on the style of the organisation. But at the point when you're in that board, everybody who is making a decision has already had the chance to absorb the, you know, the 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 reasons, the the impact, etc. And then you can have that final discussion with that board, and that keeps the program moving at the pace you need to make. Because every two weeks, you can sort of get things swept up and keep the pace going. Um, and the other thing about decisions, sorry, just to, just to add to that, is that decisions are there to be implemented. Um, they're not there to be logged. Sorry, mm. like, you, know, they're, you know, yes, of course, you have to keep a record of it. We keep a record of it through our board minutes. Um, but they're there to be implemented. Once the decision's made, it's implemented. And I said, it, it creates the environment for the next decision. So that's sort of, and I think it's helpful because when you're in a, in a sort of big transformation space where things are changing quickly, having that structure as a business where you know you can go to this board, that you will have the information you need clearly available to you, the pros and cons, you know, you know, there for you to make a good decision on. So it really helps you move forward and gives you that structure to work effectively with a program team that's there to support you in delivering what you need. Absolutely. And I think you can blush as I compliment you here, Alia, but something which you really understood was the board is there to make decisions, it, obviously we need to communicate to the board, but I think you used it for that purpose and getting people warmed up to it so it's not in lobbing this bombshell of a decision that needs to be made. So it made those forums exactly what they should be about making the really, really difficult decisions. And we got rid of the noise of other things, which I think is really, really effective. And it's subtle because I've, I've been in other programs with other steering committees where they is it sort of there like that people do understand that it's about making decisions but they worry too much about the fluff and the clinicalness i think in which um you steered us to bringing decisions in the right way warming people up to it and making them in that board was was fantastic made a big difference the program yeah that's really good part i mean and i think okay. i learned this a while ago from different clients where i remember you know sometimes you're in clients and they have structured decision making forums that are set up already they have product councils or whatever boards and i so many times I've seen, you know, very senior people sort of arrive at those boards cold, really cold, put the information down for the first time in front of exec level people. You're thinking they can't make that decision because nobody in the teams has seen this information. I think the other thing I'll add to that is it's just two minor, two subtle points. Is one is it's taking the right decisions to the right forum. Mm -hmm. Sometimes early on in this project, when I started, there was this desire for every decision that we needed to make to go to this steering committee. And I was just, you know, I found it slightly baffling because I was my steering committee is very senior. It has a CEO of Informatech on it. And CEO of Informatech isn't there to make low level decisions. That is, you know, that would have slightly failed if that's what we're doing, right? So, Absolutely. and I realized the problem with that was there was a significant gap between some of the project team meetings and the steering committee, which was up here and the project teams are down here. So it's about getting those layers in place. Agreed. And as if our lives weren't hard enough in delivering this program, Alia, I think I had two meetings with you face to face and then we got locked down into COVID and we still had 100 plus people on a very, very tight delivery timescale to deliver the project in isolation. What impact do you think that had and what advice would you give other people on how, how to change things or, or to adapt to virtual ways? Um, so again, I think so. COVID, COVID has been with this program since since probably December last year. So I, I know you may not have seen some of the phases you've been involved in, didn't see that. 
but because we were doing the Asia um, country laptop and data rollouts, December, January, we were sort of impacted by it. So COVID has been a theme of the delivery all the way through. Um, so a few things have really helped with that. Well, first of all, sort of having a good team and you know people willing to work together. I mean, I think I think one of the things you can sort of take away as a sort of a pre-understanding of some of this is that in big corporate environments, we are all used to working remotely with remote teams anyway. So yes, COVID has been a shock. The, ha the having to work 100% from home has been a shock to all of us. It's not a preferred way of working, or wasn't wasn't preferred way of working for me last year. But it wasn't as alien as it would be to somebody who is constantly, you know, only working with people in the office. So we already had some, we had the tools, we had, you know, Teams and Zoom, and we were used to working with it. What COVID helped us accelerate as a, you know, just as a preamble in the way of working is we all, the playing field got leveled. Everybody had to become more flexible about their way of working. We were less cognizant about people's preferences so you know you know like I used to hate having my camera on on video calls and, and like you know it's the only way people are going to get to know me and relate to me so you know get on with having your camera on and you know just move past the discomfort right so we've all had to do that so that's just one thing this is like a baseline thing I think the two things I think that is worth bearing in mind is that people relate to people. People are one of the most important things. And, you know, people are machines and, you know, they, you know, you can't just press a button on somebody else and go and do that. Um, so the human connection, the social connection with each other is really, really important. And fostering and creating that sense of team and community is important. And I will say that I spent probably the first two months of COVID lockdown, just working on that. So the teams were carrying forward the delivery and all that. My primary priority every day, the first, you know, major lockdown was making sure I was connecting with every person and sort of ensuring I understood what their connections into the team were so that there was no single tense. Nobody left on a, on a limb by themselves. Everybody was in a team. Those teams had regular meetings and people were being pulled together. Um, I also encourage some of the team, and you'll be on some of these stand-ups, Tom, to, to, to sort of be a little less formal. Absolutely. the only time we talk to each other. So if you come into a lot of meetings and you're fully transactional, you don't, don't have the coffee chats, the lunches, the drinks, the corridor conversations, and so on. So they, there has been a little bit more of that. And actually, if you remember when DC rolled up, one of his comments was, I wasn't sure about the, you know, these, these meetings are sometimes not what I was expecting, but we delivered really well. And I was like, take away from this, the fact that fostering a social connection and, and a human connection with each other makes a difference. I'm completely with you on that one. I don't actually know if you knew this, but we had a weekly meeting with the BA team, which was just a meeting of nothing. Like you could vent, you could talk about anything. Um, Mark, he's, Vosper, the product owner, used to make fun of me because sometimes we would have to come up with things like, what's the unusual facts about ourselves to try and learn. And I think it makes massive, massive difference. The camaraderie on this program, considering the stress levels have been incredible. And I'm not sure we would have got through it if we hadn't had that camaraderie and everyone was there to help each other, which was awesome. Yeah, and I think I think that, you know, if, if, if for me, one of my proudest achievements, you know, is that sense of that team. And I will say that, again, for the for this particular phase, most, most people didn't meet each other face to face, right? So Helen and I, for example, have never met face to face. Well, Helen and I have a good relationship. You know, you sort of have to you have to work harder, harder at it. 
I think, so that for me, if I was going to put one overwhelming piece of feedback out there to say this I think helped, is I would say that's it. The other, still very important, is this, going back to what we were talking about earlier, about delegated authority. Mm -hmm. So what a very specific style of working I have. So I just like to be very outcome focused. I mean, it's very important to me to understand what the outcome is that we're trying to achieve, um, to then design a plan that hits that outcome, but really focus in on the outcome. That allows us to, once we sort of create that framework, I think, is, so it's, it's less about a plan and more about a framework, really, because within that framework, there is loads of room for you as an individual at your level to work on the how. So when I was talking, for example, the product launch team, you know, I just, you know, I sort of worked with them to say, look, I care about, as an example, that my outcome that I'm measuring is that the salesperson is able to describe the new product model with confidence to their client. That is, that is, that is the nub of it. Now, the how of what you do is when we were pre-COVID, was we're going to run some face-to-face training sessions in one of these rooms, and we're going to have some coffee, and we're going to do this, and we're going to bring these people in, et cetera, et cetera. We all got locked down, and then we sort of ended up running webinars and recordings and all of that. But you know, if I'd had a plan that goes on, I ran, we were running six face-to-face training sessions, and now we're running six recording recorded sessions. It's sort of like you sort of go, you know, I'm, I'm talking about my plan. Whereas I'm like, I'm just talking about whether the salespeople can do their job. And that's just, and you know, that gave the product launch team, like gave Moray and Helen and all those guys a freedom mm-hmm. to, to, to work it out for the, you know, to work out the optimum way forward. And because they were closer to the people on the ground, they were able to make better decisions and, and come up with a better design for that than I would you know, across the top, imposing a, you know, I insist that you run a morning meeting and an evening meeting and get all these people. They were able to do that. They were able to course correct. They were able to sort it out. So, so I think that sort of makes a difference in, in, in environments like this, where you have people you can sort of give a framework to and then allow them to operate within it. Agreed. And I think also kind of it's similar it enables you to take a step back because you're not having to be in the detail of it and it empowers the team to to actually think about things a bit bit more innovative like when you have this sort of you must do it this way it almost removes people's ability to think creatively and 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 innovate as well so I think that really helped in making sure that we we did the right things and we thought about the outcome it didn't really matter how we did it as long as we got to the results which which we did yeah, and, and I think I think it's it's about having that like that safety margin that says you know within this, yeah you know I I can do it. And it's also I don't know I don't know how you think about this Tom, but I mean I also like to think that the the program has got quite a safe operating environment for people, um, which when you know we mistakes are made. I made mistakes. You know we all made mistakes, but we you know we we didn't choose to treat them as a as a as a massive meltdown situation. We chose to treat them as okay. How do we resolve this particular particular issue? And made a lot of people were there able to be to step up harder and and be more creative because they were less worried about potentially coming up with the wrong answer. Agreed. Psychological safety or something of that nature, isn't it? Yes. But no, it's awesome. And it, more more of a personal level, Ali. If you were to do this a similar project to this again, is there anything that you think you would do differently, or that you personally taken away that you would you would use on another program? Um. So. You know, first of all, I'd you know, be pretty excited to do another one of these again. <laughs> take all my learnings from this one and sort of, sort of apply them in the field. Um, I think the thing I find um, 
the thing I found the hardest on this on this project was finding because we had to stand up so many different teams and we had to stand up vendors and contract resources and 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 so on there was there was very little that we could you know we were able to draw on FTE expertise but the the bandwidth inside and four was quite limited so so there was there was a limited amount of things we could draw on and also because of the amount of change in that organization the the structures you can fit people into are limited as well so you're, you're almost like you bring somebody in you have to create a new process you have to create a new working structure for them etc so finding the right people with the right attitude and you know that combination of fatigues in the area that combination of being able to roll their sleeves up and and work in a fluid environment where decision making is is still a you know work in progress one of my lessons learned from this one is that really matters you know in areas where we had those people where we were able to find those people it made a massive difference to the project in areas where i left it a bit too long to sort of make some changes or move people's roles around as i understood them a bit better we we suffered a bit and i think if i if i was going to do this again i would i would be more cognizant of of that much earlier on um, I, I think it's good that you did recognize it though a lot of programs will go on with not quite the right skill sets and they just sort of muddled through but you were aware that things needed to change and had the grit and determination to to change them which ultimately saved the program in some areas where we were really struggling so that is yeah. that is that's good to hear you know i certainly you know during the you know while i was in the thick of it felt that i was 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 not changing things fast enough <laughs> because um it's sort of like modeling through um we had we had a few modeling through moments so yeah let's be clear about that um and and you know you could sort of i was like you know you could sort of see where we were modeling through where i was you know doing some things that you know but i'm just doing the job myself um that are going like, you know, if I got a better person and they're a person with a different mindset, different skill set, we would have done better. I mean, I think the other one, and I think the other thing, it's a lot of it is about persuading the business you're in that a skill set that sort of supports transformation is not often a skill set that is a BAU skill set. And I don't mean that in a derogatory manner. It's just a trans transformation is a is a is a is a short sharp activity where you are Absolutely. in there so you know for our comms for example we we sort of um you know brought in a specific transformation comms um resource for six months whose job it was to do things like get faqs set up keep those faqs up to date run a, on a heartbeat of communication very very difficult communications around you know people's job changes what was going to happen to them through the through the od process you know you know very specific lots and lots and lots of change that people were going through and keep that moving forward and get good feedback from people you know globally now that is unusual businesses don't do that on a daily basis and, and so having somebody who can come in stand that up quickly run that through and close it down is not somebody you would often have in your internal comms team on as a daily basis because why would you need that skill set yeah and it's interesting isn't it because like the outputs in isolation and i think the same applies to say analysts as well is you're writing requirements you're writing comms it seems the same, but in a BAU sense, I guess you have much more time to gather it. It's a different sort of perspective that you're taking. Whereas this is like, we need momentum, we need pace, we need clinicalness. Otherwise, it impacts the delivery. So the mindset's very different as well. Yeah. So I mean, we can we can talk a little bit about you know where we were with the with the with the backlog, which is pretty much exactly the same thing. Now you you're much closer to it than I am. But what I can say is that when I was we were forming the BA team, when I was like bringing together the BA team of 
a third party vendor, some Claris's BAs, and then like the you know the FTE BAs. So the idea was that we would initially we would run that team using one of the existing and former FTE resources to head it up, and that was a that was a fair starting point until we sort of had to take a step back and go. Why would we expect, you know, somebody who hasn't done this before to be able to stand up to managing a multi-vendor team at a, you know, for a project this size at this pace, where literally I need the backlog yesterday so that we can start development tomorrow. No, I think I would describe it as extreme agile, which is really, you needed someone who had done it before and had the experience because it was so hard for somebody who in a BAU world where life is a bit slower to think of all of that and now two weeks has gone while they're thinking yeah. about it. So you just need to come exactly. in and run with it. And I think it's also about trust. Sorry, I was just going off piece slightly. It's also mm, about trust. Go ahead. Over the course of time, as we made these decisions, as people came to the program and they sort of made a difference and everybody relaxed with each other a bit more, people trusted it. And yes, you know, if I go back to one of the people who sort of would have felt unhappy about your joining the project to the activity and wasn't happy about it quite frankly if i go back to them today somebody worked with very closely they, they're delighted you then i actually had to have one-to-one with, with with them to go trust me trust me this will make your life better and you will do a better role you are going to do your role really really well if tom comes in and helps with this thing here and and that and the only reason i was able to do that was because i had personal connection um, with, with, with them so so it's sort of like just understanding and not just throwing people into the mix so yeah I mean the fact that that's even coming into your thought process that you need to consider the impact on the individual I think is fantastic because often again program managers project managers think too much about delivering on the plan as being an operative thing whereas your role as a transformation director is, is much broader than that you've got to make sure it's a success and the team delivers and the team is so important so yeah I think it's great that you've thought about that it's important to understand that wherever you are, whether you always leave a legacy behind. And I think I think you always leave a legacy. I mean, whether you choose to leave one or don't leave one, you always, you always leave one behind. And I'm, look, I'm an ex-consultant, right? I used to work for a consultancy for several years. And you always had to leave a good legacy behind you so that you could sell another project. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my account manager would be really unhappy you know, if they got bad feedback about how I was operating with the client. So I think that sort of like sticks with you, doesn't it? Because you you sort of have this like thing in your head that you want to leave um, people feeling good about what you've done for them. You want to leave that organization with with, with something. But and also look, I mean, I, I, I hate doing the same thing over and over again. So for me, it's really, it's really exciting if I can sort of come in, do something, leave people behind me and I'll take that forward and I can go away and do something else. Um, so that, that's motivational, but yeah. Yeah, and so the main takeaway is everyone should be a consultant at some point. It's all right. Mm. <laughs> Highly recommend. Right. I think if you if you ever want to be in a in a client facing delivery role, um, working for a consultancy organisation is not a bad thing to do. You know, for a period of time. You know, you don't have to like make it your career. Absolutely. Yeah, it just gives you a very different perspective, which you wouldn't have if you don't work in that fashion. Agreed. And just to kind of finish off and leave our listeners with, with some element of what to do or what they could do themselves, it would be useful to talk about what we think went really well and that people should take on to other programs. And I, I'll go first with my uh, two cents and my listeners will probably hate me for repeating something I always say, but we put the customer at the heart. Like as a customer experience specialist myself, I think we really saw the benefits of that on a number of areas. So we talked about decision making earlier. 
it made it easier because the product was for the customers and if the customers had spoken then the decision was easy so i think that was fantastic that we did that we also didn't fall into the trap that many do of doing some research and then having it in a file and coming back to it months later. It was constant. It was iterative. We did it throughout the program. We're still doing it today, even though the program is complete. Like we're constantly checking with what our customers and even internal users think, which ultimately has created a design led product that works for the customers. So anyone doing these programs, it's always that thing where you think it's a nice to have, but then you end up with a product which may not deliver on the benefits that you achieved. Whereas I think we can be confident that it's delivering something of value to our customers because they helped us design it. I, I couldn't agree more. I think I mean, that, that's a very valuable, valuable takeaway. But I think the other thing to understand is that apart from it delivering for the customer, it also drives your investment decisions. You make good investment decisions because your, your investment decision is linked to you know, something where you can see that customer, customer outcome. Um, I think, I think, you know, again, so apart from that, I mean, I think, I think taking a, a, a good takeaway for me, for me is that you have to keep your end vision and, and whatever your interim states are in mind, and then just be prepared to, to change, change your approach as you go along. Don't try to create like a fully fleshed, fully detailed plan of every single thing from the top that you're going to run because you you will not succeed and you will stifle any innovation around you you will stifle your your team who will be able to to sort of bring forward so i think if i look at this particular program i think i think one of the real learnings for me and one of the real benefits is how much this has relied on the collective intelligence and collective contribution of the of the team who are on the project and the fact that it was set up in such a way to give people that space to drive forward. So we have an excellent output because of that, because we were able to draw on so many people. I completely agree. So, yeah, I, I think a good summary of this this whole conversation is really think about the impact on the individuals, the people, empower them and drive it from the point of view of the users and the customers. And from that, hopefully you end up with a successful delivery like we did for Omdia. Yes, we did. And on time and on budget. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for talking to us today, Ali, and hopefully we'll have you back for other conversations in the future. Good luck on your your next endeavours and another challenging programme like Omdia. Yeah, so that would be very exciting, actually. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you.